Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I have to admit, I'm very thankful to come into church again today and find the air conditioning working so well, as hot as it is, because I think it works better than my house, to be fair. So this is a nice respite here, not only because of uh, kind of a cool place to gather, but, but obviously here gathered in God's presence with the family, the body of Christ, and so it's, it's fun to be together. I'm Rob. If you're a guest today or if I've not had a chance to meet you, um, it's my, uh, my privilege to to just have a bit of a conversation this morning. We're, we're in the middle of three weeks, which we started last week, looking and talking about fear. But how do we deal with, understand, respond to? And certainly we hope that the Lord's Word comes to us in a way that informs how we understand all this and really how we live it out together. As I said last week, because we were looking at numbers last week, a couple chapters of numbers, is that all three weeks we're actually spending time in texts from the Old Testament. And today uh, we're going to spend some time in Jonah, which I'm excited for. Uh, Jonah's one of my favorites, and, and I suspect there's probably a few here this morning that Jonah's more of one of those felt board stories, right, when we were kids. It was easy to depict, and there was like a really big fish in the story, and so the kids loved There is a VeggieTales version if you want to go check that out. It's pretty cool, actually. I watched a little bit of it this past week, just uh, from when my kids were little, we used to, to do that. Um, but, but I think today in Jonah, we're going to, I hope, I hope, take some time to maybe look at, look at, at fear and what the Lord has to say. There's going to be two aspects to it that Jonah's going to bring forth. One is typical and expected because we see the wrath of God on display all over the Old Testament, all over it, in very literal, physical history sort of things going on in, in God's people, the nation of Israel, but not just them, but the nations around them as well. And, and in Jonah, it's one of, it's a prophet, but then one of the nations, not, not Israel, but one of the nations that would be in that time and place as it gets rolled out. And so I think that, um, I hope and pray that we can take some time today to consider what, what the Lord has to say to us through this well, this episode that Jonah depicts and, and displays to us. So let's take a bit of time here and uh, listen to a section of, of Jonah's story. Once again, God said to Jonah, leave right now and go to Nineveh. You're to tell them I'm going to judge them because of their wickedness. This time, Jonah immediately got up and went to Nineveh. The city of Nineveh was extremely large. It took three days to walk from one side to the other. So Jonah started his walk across the city. He shouted, God is going to destroy the city in 40 days. The people of the city heard him preach and believed what he said was true. They passed a law that said everyone was to fast, no exceptions. Everyone was to go without food and they were to wear burlap sacks. They prayed and asked God to be merciful to them. The king stepped down from his throne and laid aside his royal robes. He put on burlap sacks and sat on a pile of ashes. He sent out another law that said no one is to taste any food or water. That includes animals as well. Everyone is to wear burlap sacks and stop any evil they are doing. Maybe God will change his mind and allow us to live. The Lord saw all they were doing. He knew they had turned away from their wickedness, so he stopped the judgment that was about to kill them and destroy their city. Jonah was furious when he heard about this. He said, I told you this would happen. I knew you were a merciful God. I knew you were quick to forgive. That's exactly why I didn't want to come here. That's why I ran 
kill me right now, I do not want to live. The Lord said, Do you think it's right to be so angry about this? Jonah didn't answer, but he went to the east side of the city. He made a small shelter so he could see exactly what the Lord was doing in the city. While he was sitting there, God caused a vine to grow up next to him. The vine had a large leaf which provided shade from the hot sun. Jonah was pleased with the plant and enjoyed the shade it provided. The next morning, God caused a worm to attack and kill the vine. As the sun got hot, the plant withered. Then God caused a hot east wind to blow on Jonah. As the day went by, the sun and the wind got hotter and hotter, and there was no vine to protect Jonah. He cried, I don't want to live anymore. I want to die. God said to him, Is it right to be so angry about this vine? Jonah replied, Yes, it's right for me to be angry. I am so mad I want to die. The Lord said, You're angry about a simple vine. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. It came up one day and died the next. Shouldn't I also care about this city? There are 120,000 children living here, not to mention all the animals. That's half of the book in Jonah right there. I mean, we could have covered the whole thing today pretty easily, but we might cover good pieces about it. Um, so not, not a surprising story. That is to say, Jonah and Nineveh is not surprising on other occurrences and things we see in the Old Testament. And like so many things that I, I try to, to share, our challenge is, is how do we take what occurred here with Jonah and Nineveh, and how do we try to make some sense out of it for us today? Right? So much of what happened in the Old Testament was, was then in that time and place, and God's, God's activity of saving, of, of coming and confronting, causing repentance and redeeming, and how that got lived out there was always, always with an eye toward the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ. So how do we take what happened there with Nineveh and Jonah to make some sense of it for us? Well, I think the, the aspects of fear as we talk about it are pretty straightforward in this, in this episode with regards to Nineveh. It's, it's a pretty simple setting. You see, you see Jonah arriving in the city, and, and as we're told, Nineveh is a large city. In fact, it takes several days just to walk across it. Jonah shows up on the scene, and Jonah proclaims a very short message. Forty days, or you shall be overturned, is what Jonah says. Probably the shortest sermon in history, right? I mean, to be fair, it's going to be a lot shorter than my message today. A little shorter than Jason's message a few weeks ago, maybe. I don't know. Just a little bit. But it's probably the shortest message in history for a variety of reasons. But Jonah appears, and Jonah says, as we're told, 40 days and you shall be overthrown. That's it. End of story. That's it. I suspect, though, people knew who Jonah was, namely a Jew, an Israelite. They might not have known his posture or position in the nation of Israel as a, as a prophet. Maybe they did. Maybe some people did. But he probably came and speaking with a sense of authority. No matter what the context was, somebody heard and was convicted. And eventually word gets to the king of Nineveh. And what does the king do? Well, the king out of this, in very short order, says, 
not only shall I, but all people, we must repent. And in the Old Testament, that looked like you put on sackcloth and you sit in ashes and you dump ashes on yourself and you take this very physical posture of fear and repentance and that, that we have done wrong and they sit. That in and of itself is a pretty strong turn for a city this big. A pretty strong turn for a city whose evil was so compelling that it came before God that he was going to overthrow and destroy the entire city. And yet the king hears this message and he calls upon everyone to repent, everyone to sit in sackcloth and ash, everyone to fast and pray. And not just all people, but in fact, the animals in Nineveh. The command from the king is that nobody will eat or drink as we will turn in full repentance to this message, this call, this call, calling upon us to, to repent of our ways and turn to God and trust to him. Amazing level of repentance in a very short time of how quickly the fear of God's wrath turned this community. And what are we told? Well, God relents. Their prayers, their, their, their repentance, their, their fear, their trembling before the God of all creation comes before him. And he's exactly who we expect he would be. It doesn't always go this way in the Old Testament. In fact, there's many episodes of complete destruction, of fire from heaven raining down. In this case, though, we're told how Nineveh the king from the very top from his throne, he leaves the throne and he puts on sackcloth and sits in ash to their livestock and everyone are repenting in front of the Lord. I could not imagine that kind of fear. See, the, the, the episode in the Old Testament is fairly straightforward. What, you should, what, you sh what should you do? When God comes and says, repent or I'll destroy you, you might want to repent, Right? It's a pretty simple response. And yet in many cases, over and over again in the Old Testament, they don't. Or people repent and then they fall again. And it just It's a cycle, and so we shouldn't be surprising. I, I think, though, that the challenge for us today is how do we take that, that episode, that experience, that, that demonstration of what Nineveh, from their king all the way down to the livestock of the field, do in the face of God? How do we live in that place today? I haven't had someone come to me and say, Rob, 40 days or you shall be overthrown. I haven't experienced the kind of, of promise of wrath that Jonah delivered to Nineveh that day. There's something different about how we experience this today, this, this being today on this side of the cross, on this side of the church of the New Testament, on this side of the day of Pentecost, which all of that is to say that the presence of God's Spirit is here in this place in a different way than it was back in the Old Testament. Not, not better or worse, just different, a more full expression of it. And so on some level, we live this out on a much more individual basis today. The call for repentance and Trusting and fearing and knowing the Lord is different today than it was for 
an entire city of Nineveh. It's, it's a bit more of an individual basis. And, and I think that, I think that the thing we need to resonate with or sit in today is, is how, how the life of not just a believer but an unbeliever even is impacted by the wrath of God. We don't hear stories of fire coming down from heaven, heaven and consuming entire cities today. We don't see that. There's all kinds of other natural disasters that occur for sure. And you can speculate on what the impact is or the cause of that is or is not. And I'm not going to get into that in the least bit. But we can talk about what life looks like on an individual basis because in some way, the wrath of God is built in to our lives. That is to say, sin... Rebellion, turning away from God, has a natural consequence. So we're probably going to get a little personal today because many of us have broken lives in all sorts of ways. Let me put it this way. When I was in full-time ministry in Wisconsin, um, I saw brokenness and the, the results of God's wrath on families all the time because when it finally got bad enough to go talk to the pastor, it was really bad. And chances are it probably also became public, right? And so that guilt and that shame was too much to ignore at that point. So if the husband had cheated on his wife or the wife had cheated on her husband and it became more public, they finally came to talk to the pastor about it. That's what I mean by there is just a natural consequence of sin built into our lives. And that's the same whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. So to use the, the gift of marriage, a gift of family, things just tend to go better if you don't commit adultery. Right? I mean, we laugh like, well, duh. No, really. Things just tend to go better in life if you don't kill somebody else, right? Yes. Well, you know what? Things also tend to go better if you aren't lying. Things tend to go better if you aren't stealing from your employer. Things tend to go better. You kind of get what's going on here? See, the wrath of God is not always just fire from heaven. The wrath of God often is passive. That is to say, God steps back and sin has its own built-in consequence. I know some of us have experienced broken marriages. Maybe we've remarried and had another chance to, to express that differently. And it's not always because of our own fault. Don't, don't hear me saying that. Sometimes it's based on the fault or the cause of somebody else's decision. We tend to have a role to play. But it's not always an active thing upon us. On our behalf, I mean. See, this is how we can look at, at what's the proper position of fearing God. The position of the Ninevites was they heard the wrath of God and they sat in sackcloth and ash and they repented and God saved them. 
the response in lives today on an individual basis, whether it is something so, so destructive, so public as maybe a, a broken marriage, but maybe it's still something that is private and quiet, things that we think nobody else knows about. Maybe there's addictions that are still hidden. Maybe there's just patterns of destructive behavior over and over and over again. Something as simple as just a little white lie. The lies continue to build and stack up, but you know, I'm, I'm able to keep it together so far. No matter how public or private it is, the fear of God, I pray, compels us to come to him. Compels us to come to him because he is, he is waiting. His arms are wide open. He wants to receive and restore you. This is the nature of what fearing the Lord is, but also why we should fear not, because God is quick to save. God forgets. God looks at us and sees his son Christ, and we are made whole, not just in our relationships, but with him. It's not to say that the consequence of our sin, the consequence of these behaviors don't have some very real lasting impacts in our lives. They do. They do regularly. But yet those are not eternal. The restoration that God offers is eternal. The kind of connectivity that we get in this, in this family, this body that we get to share is something that can be experienced today but also for eternity in a way that we, we see a wholeness of the body of Christ caring for one another. Are we, are we connecting with this at all? Are we, kind of, are we hearing this a little bit? It's not something so, so significant as a broken marriage. It might be how fast I drive down the road, right? If, I, if the speed limit's 35 and I choose to do 60, I might be fine, but I also might get a ticket. See, the consequences are just built in. I, I think we can encourage one another by talking about how we live this out. I, I've shared with some of you, how do I know what I should do every day? Well, I listen to my wife. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, he's in trouble later. <laughs> I'm serious, though. The reason why I say that, how do I know how the Lord expects me to live out my job as a husband? I listen to my wife, right? It's not rocket science. It's just paying attention, recognizing that that's a relationship that God has given me. It's something that I can... I can share in it, and it really is the Lord telling me what my expectations are, what his expectations are through that relationship that he's given me. I need to be sensitive to that and grow in that. And you can go on down through the rest of your life about all the different roles you have. An employer, a boss you maybe don't even get along with, a neighbor that you're having problems with, a family member that, you know what, they are always wrong. But maybe you stop and just kind of open the walls up a little bit and, and maybe have a different conversation. Maybe there's something in there the Lord's trying to, to share with you. And you can benefit. They can benefit. There can be restoration by listening and seeing that that actually is the Lord. For those who believe where the Spirit of God resides, it is the Lord that is calling and talking to us. All right, so we get that one? We get it? We, we hear how in Jonah, 
Jonah goes to Nineveh, 40 days you shall be overturned. What do they do? Like we see in the Old Testament, they, they repent and the Lord relents or he takes away his anger and wrath and they are saved. And then we have to figure out, <clears throat> we have to figure out what it looks like for us today because how I live it out, how Ken lives it out, how someone else lives it out is very different from one day to the next in one relationship to the next, but we share in the same circumstance. We share in this thing where we are challenged and, and we are naturally rebellious against God and want to do what we want to do versus what the Lord's plan is. And God calls us. The same call that Nineveh received is, is to repent, to listen, to turn to the Lord. And that looks like everyday sort of stuff, folks. Everyday sort of stuff. Not just what we do together in worship. Not just the font which we celebrate, not just the meal which we share together, but everyday sort of stuff. And this is the reason why at Oikos we talk about the family so much. We invite people into conversation to just sit and share a meal and just be part of life together. Because when those things pop up, then you're there to, to hopefully talk with somebody about it, pray together. All right, so we got that one. That's the first kind of aspect of fear. I think this one is fairly regular. I don't know. I mean, maybe you haven't thought about how the wrath of God exists in your life or how sin has a natural consequence before. But certainly from, from Jonah and what we saw about Jonah coming to the Ninevites and the call to repent, and yep, that's a, you know, that's a typical message we get, right? The second one's a little bit different. The second aspect of fear that Jonah depicts to us is a bit different. Now, we did not hear the whole story of Jonah. It's, it's like I said, it's only four chapters. It's short. We heard half of the whole book today. I would encourage you, go home and read it. It's not that long. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's probably about as long as a commercial break between your shows that you're watching, okay? You could sit down and read it and just, just sit in it a little bit. Because what happens from the very beginning of Jonah, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah's a prophet, well-known. He obviously has been, been a prophet in Israel, so he, he's, he's got a relationship with God. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And the Lord says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Their sin is so grave, I want you to go to them and preach to them. And Jonah, instead of going up to Nineveh, Jonah goes down to Tarshish. The exact opposite direction. He goes down to Tarshish. He gets on a boat in Joppa. He hops on the boat. He gets on the boat. He goes down into the belly of the boat. In the belly of the boat, he goes to sleep, and a huge storm comes about. And these sailors who have no idea who's on their boat, they start praying. And to their God, they don't know who, who Yahweh is, who the God of the Old Testament is, but they start praying and nothing is changing. They start tossing stuff over the side. Nothing is helping. They cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah. So they go down in the belly of the boat and they grab Jonah. And they say, what have you done to us? And they pull Jonah up and Jonah says, look, it's my problem. I'm running for God. Toss me overboard. So they do. So they go. For, Jonah goes from this. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Go up to Nineveh. And proclaim, Jonah goes down to Tarshish, onto the boat, into the belly of the boat, gets tossed over the side, he's going down deep into the sea. And what does God do? God sends a great fish to rescue him. So Jonah has gone from go up to Nineveh to the lowest place possible. And God grabs him. Jonah prays. And eventually he gets spit out on the shore. That's where we pick up. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
This time, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Now, I'm not sure how you would see Jonah going to Nineveh. It wasn't a short trip. I'm pretty sure he wasn't like, you know, whistling Dixie and having a good time. I'm pretty sure he's like, God, he tried to run. I couldn't get away from him. What is he? Just, you know, just talking to himself the whole way down. Because he is upset about what his mission is from God. But yet, what does he do? He goes to Nineveh. And we heard the story. He shows up there. It's a huge city, three days to walk across. And Jonah proclaims, 40 days you shall be overturned. End of story. What do they do? They repent. And they're saved. And what does Jonah do? Maybe you missed this. He complains to God. He admits, see God, this is why I went the other way. When you said go up to Nineveh, I went away down to Tarshish because I know who you are. You are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love and you save. I knew that if they repented that this is what you would do, God. Could you imagine that response? Take a look at it from Jonah's eyes, from his position. This is my God. This is my salvation. I don't want to share with anybody. I'm afraid that God will be who I know who he is, and he will save those who don't deserve it. I'm afraid that if I go and I proclaim that God will save those who are not like me. I'm afraid that if I go that God will will save those really, really bad ones, the ones that have been denying and doing everything apart from what God's plan is their entire history. I'm afraid that he will save them. And the last thing I want to do is go proclaim that. In fact, not only just go proclaim, I would rather go die than share the word of the Lord in a way that he does what I know he's going to do. And so what does Jonah do? He goes up and sits on a hillside and he pouts. He pouts. Up above, overlooking the city, God grows a big leaf and gives him some shakes. It's hot, probably like a Houston summertime. It's hot. I'm guessing probably not quite as humid. It's hot. Jonah's sitting there, and oh, man, he's happy to have some shade, and then the, the sun comes, and the, the leaf withers. And Jonah's more upset that that leaf is gone than caring for the people in Nineveh. And so the story of Jonah ends. Jonah, really, God says? 120,000 people plus their animals, shouldn't I care about them You care more about this leaf than you do about a city full of people. Have you ever looked at someone and thought, I don't think they deserve a second chance? Pretty sure if I was to ask us to raise hands, I'm not going to. It'd be, if someone wanted to be honest about it, it'd be, it'd be tough to raise that hand. Now, I'm not suggesting that we've all thought that, but I'm pretty sure our behaviors have demonstrated that. I know mine have. I'm pretty sure we've seen people that are, well, I don't know, you, you can pick it. 
live in a different part of town than I do, have a life that looks different than I do, make decisions about family different than I do, have had, oh man, if you just knew what they were like last year, I don't know what it, you mean, kind of, what's your list? What are the folks in life that you notice that are different than you? Now, maybe you consider them to be better than you are, not only worse. Where do those folks in Houston live that you consider to be different than you? Does God love them? Has God called you to speak and be present if you get that opportunity? See, I think in, in the case of Jonah, he, he, he knew it. He knew God really well. He was one of God's prophets. You know, he, he prophesied in other parts of the Old Testament. He's the one that Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. I mean, Jonah, he's a, he's a dude in the Old Testament. He's important. He's got a real place. This isn't some story, some fable. He, this, this is part of God's story. He knew God. See, I think we tend to go on the side of, well, we might, we might not want to go talk to that person that's so different to us. But then we also use this excuse that, well, I really, I really don't have any good answers if they ask any questions. <laughs> I really can't share the fullness of what God is. And if, if they, what if they actually want to talk about it? What if they do want me to pray with them? <laughs> and those are real concerns. I get that. I understand that. See, but, but it's a different aspect of just how, like, just how like Jonah knew who God was so well that he knew and had full, complete confidence to the point that he would rather die than, than watch God save the Ninevites. We're on the side of, well, if I don't do it just right, I'm not sure the Lord will do what, what, I, what he wants to do, right? If I'm not just perfect in this, if I don't have the right answer, if, I, if, 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 if. We actually probably think less of what God's able to do. We probably underestimate how God can work through something that's broken and messed up and bad, bad histories and, right? I know that's where I find myself. I, I find myself, I probably shouldn't say anything. What if they want to talk? What if they want to come into my house? <laughs> really? Yeah, you know, fear, fear is one of these things that um, it can really cripple us. And, and I think fear is one of these things also that become more compelling over time. It might not have been as intentional the first time, right? But the more and more you kind of get in this place of, afraid of what God really wants me to do, the harder it is maybe to take that first step. Jonah's a great story. It's really good to be together and worship with y'all. Um, I hope, I hope and pray, and we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time in prayer today to call upon the Lord, to be present, to give us a spirit of empowerment and hope 
to be bold for him in ways that maybe we haven't been before. I hope, though, that in the course of a few weeks here, that you're thinking through what are some of the things that you're afraid of, right? What are you afraid of? We heard last week that, that, that Christ says, come to me all who thirst, all who thirst. And if you are thirsty, I will give you a drink. If you believe in me, those who believe in me, out of them springs of living water will flow. That's an eternal type of significance. Today through Jonah, we're hearing about how, how it's okay to admit our fears. That God is a God who is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He wants to save. He is, he is the source of love. He is, is that steadfast, never-ending, always, always receiving love. I hope that you're finding relationships in this, in this body, <clears throat> in this thing, this family, <clears throat> excuse me, this family called Oikos. I, I hope that you're thinking about how you can plug in. I hope that you're considering some of the things that have been just there for a long time and maybe just take one step, just one step to do something different in faith. No matter what it is, I hope that you know that the Lord loves you. I hope that you know that the God who sent Jonah not once but twice to Nineveh to save them, even when their sin was so, so offensive to God, that God that sent Jonah to Nineveh and saved them when they repented is here and present with us right now. By his spirit, he is residing in those who know him. He is gathering us together. He is he is reassuring us and he's giving us an invitation, an invitation to come into a conversation with those around us. It's a good day. Sometimes these sermons, I'll be the first one to say that my messages can be a little heavy at times because I am constantly reminded, my fear when I come up here is I'm constantly reminded about how weak I am. And my only prayer is that the Spirit of the Lord would be present in a way so that you would hear what he wants you to hear today. That's my prayer. God has something good in store for you, not just today, but for eternity. And that's what we celebrate as God's people. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, we, um, we thank you that we can come and hear about your, your acts of salvation, your acts of saving, your acts of, of repentance and confronting and, and preaching that message, not just today, but from centuries ago, from generations upon generations ago. And though the expression of how that was maybe before Christ's time was different, the human condition was just the same. The frailty the pride, the sinfulness was just as evident then as it is today. And yet, Father, you have never turned away. You come after us again and again and again. And, and so much, Father, so much so that you, would, that you would give us your Son. 
that you would send him into this place to, to walk among us as a brother, to, to experience the things that we experience, that you would send him forth, Father, in a way that he would, he would willingly give up his place with you to come be with us so that he could be the fulfillment of the sacrifice which you required, Father. Help us, Father, today through your spirit, help us to be quick to confess the fears that we have. Help us be quick to recognize when we look at someone different than ourselves in a way that prevents us from going to them when we see them in need or see an opportunity to share. So we pray, Father, that you would just give us that first step, willingness to just take a step to see what happens, knowing full well, Father, that it's according to your plan and that you, Father, have nothing but good things in store. We might not see them, but you have rest and reconciliation and restoration and, and wholeness, love in store for us, Father. So we pray all this, Father, by the, by the name, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Part of what we do at Oikos is we, is we share stories. Sometimes it's small and one-on-one, -on -one, but sometimes it's on a video. So we're going to take a minute and we're going to watch and hear about one of those stories right now from Oikos.